0: Happy Friday. Welcome into 104.3 The Fan's Coffee Break. Andrew Mason, Rachel V. Hill, Jake Shapiro hanging out with you as we talk abs and Broncos today. Very exciting because a deal is closing in for Michushkin to re-sign with the Avalanche. He is a free agent, so this is big news for the abs, gentlemen.
1: Yeah, uh, Rachel I think that Valerian Achushkin might have been the best player during the Stanley Cup Finals series against Tampa Bay. He was awesome, a great two-way forward, really picked up his game for the Avalanche over his couple of years here. So I think it's a big signing for them.
2: I think it is as well. And, I mean, you just kind of look at the resources and people, maybe there were some that, you know, they're up in a little bit up in arms about not getting something done with Kemper. But I think in terms of the Avs and the overall roster building here, I think this is actually a better play than investing in Darcy Kemper. I think rolling the dice in, in the net as as they are, if you have to do that to keep Nishushkin, I think you absolutely have to do that. I think it's a pretty prudent re- use of resources on their part.
0: Now, Mace, you've been open and honest on Twitter about obviously you were rooting for the Tampa Bay Lightning, but you were still happy for the Colorado Avalanche, obviously making it your new home base. But when Nishushkin got on the ice, was he one of those players that you looked at as Oh, this guy
2: can make a play. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. And that way, and I think that sometimes maybe kind of it's it's all about perspective. But seeing how you view him from the from the other side, and I can see I can see how, for example. From the Lightning perspective, someone like Braden Point, who comes up, who came up big in the playoffs, uh, it obviously was injured for this year's run. Is someone that you didn't want to see. I think the Lightning didn't want to see the Shuskin out. out there, he caused them a lot. He caused them a lot of problems. And part of the equation for the Avs is just that you have you you start going down the list of playmakers that they have. I mean, the Shuskin, third, fourth, fifth best player at times. You'd put him on. You'd put him on a lot of teams. He'd be a number one or a number two option. In terms of being in terms of being able to change the game out there, so from that perspective alone, if you can hang on to him while keeping everybody else, I mean, it allows you to come come at opponent in waves and just it's you know the, the abs are a pick your poison team. Nishuskin helps maintain that as that aspect of what they can do uh, at both ends of the ice.
1: Yeah, he I was like just. That. He was just under a point per game in the regular yeah. season and in the playoffs. Uh, he's a great two-way forward. I think that the Avalanche won the early games in the Tampa Bay series because of Nachushkin's forechecking. Uh, he is an important top six forward. I thought the trade yesterday, which we broke down on the show as it broke, uh, allows them a slight chance of bringing back Nazem Kadri and Valery Nachushkin. Um, even looking at it today, I just broke it down on denverfan.com. They'll have about $19 million in cap space if this deal comes in at $5 million, which is what the reports are suggesting. There's a chance that they can bring back Nazem Kadri and Josh Manson and also sign our Terry and their goaltender that they brought in yesterday. So, I like the way the Avs offseason is shaping up. And, and as Mace mentioned, that trade yesterday allows them to become more flexible. And that trade yesterday is because Pavel Francouz proved in the playoffs that he is capable of winning playoff games for the Avalanche. They are capable of winning a Stanley Cup with an average goaltender. Like they can do this and repeat the, the recipe. So it's more important for them to go and get Valerian Nichushkin and Nazem Kadri back Than it is Darcy Kemper. And Valerian Yachushkin, as we're saying, was not one of, you know, was not just some good player for the Avs. He was one of the more important players to the Avalanche. He's a top six forward on a team that bases itself on speed forechecking and getting to the puck, he might be the best at some of those skills.
2: Yeah. And Jake, you mentioned the forecheck and I don't think the lightning were properly prepared for how effective the abs were in the forecheck. I think they were, they were expecting a little bit more and a little, a little bit more open, a little bit more openness against the abs than they had in some of their other series. And I think that it, it forced the lightning to, kind of shift their gears a little bit and end up being too late once they dug themselves that two nothing hole. But that, that's where he caused, I thought the lightning, I thought I didn't cause the most problems was in the four check.
0: Well, stay tuned to Denverfan.com. We'll keep you in or updated as soon as a deal hopefully gets done there. And again, a lot of other names being tossed around about who the abs need to sign to bring back maybe more of a closer squad to what they had while they won this Stanley cup run. But Jake, thank you so much Mace. Let's get into some Broncos talk now, because one of the major topics is Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb and what they are going to be able to do this year for the Broncos.
2: Yeah. And I mean, this, I, the interesting thing about Chubb and Gregory is looking at them as a collective, I think this is the biggest role of the dice that George Payton has taken as a general manager in his uh, about a year and a half on the job. Gave up a lot for Russell Wilson, yes, but you're talking about a nine-time Pro Bowler who has been exceptionally healthy for most of his career. He's only missed, what, three, game, three games in his entire career. You're talking about... Arguably the second most important position on the roster behind, behind quarterback being edge rusher and two guys who have significant availability concerns. Historically, they're different, obviously different reasons. Uh, Randy Gregory had the substance abuse issues that kept him out for most of the first few years of his career. And Chubb has just had injuries, but Gregory has injuries too. And now Gregory is coming off the torn rotator cuff of, of that necessitated surgery. And, he may he may not be available when training camp starts, and they may kind of kind of ease him in. So, as much as the Broncos have done, you kind of you worry about the edges a little bit. You don't worry that Chubb and Gregory are good enough. Although Randy Gregory, he's been a good at generating pressure, but his sack total isn't that high. But he does generate that does have a pretty good pressure rate, eleventh among edge rushers last year in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. But because of that, you better make sure that your, your depth is on point. And I think one of the reasons why you keep hearing Nathaniel Hackett, George Payton, Ejio Evero saying you can never have too many pass rushers is because they know kind of how fragile the top line of their depth chart is.
0: No, yeah. When you look at both of these guys, obviously injuries is it's something that you can never go back to, right? We've heard yeah. uh, Mark Schleyer talk about you have to learn your new 100% because you will never fully be 100% again. For both of these guys to be coming off of injuries, that mental aspect too, have you had an opportunity to talk to either of them or seen either of them too? Because I know Randy Gregory, you saw him at the um, his arm still in the sling. Mm-hmm. But have either one of them discussed kind of how they're mentally preparing for this season and if they're feeling back to what is their new
2: Well, with Randy, we haven't heard from him yet post operation. Of course, he had that right around the time that that, that he signed. I mean, he, Mm -hmm. the fact he's out there, he was out there watching practice. He see, from what I've gathered, he seems to be indirectly, he seems to be in a good frame of mind. Bradley Chubb, we have heard from, and actually, I asked Chubb at one of his availabilities, just about kind of where he stands health-wise and he did he did say that he feels like he is at the best point he has been since the 20 since before he tore the ACL in 2019 that he he at first he said oh it's the best I've been in my career and then he kind of kind of thought about it a little bit and realized hey I was pretty good back in 2018 when uh, he when of course he had 12 sacks and if he's the best since that rookie season then if he stays healthy, the Broncos should get what they want and need out of out of the edge rushing position from him. From him, at least. But again, you, since that injury that he had, he's missed more games than, than he's than he's played. That first ACL, and then he had the and then he had the ankle issues last year. Now, the th- I'm I'm kind of I'm less concerned about him coming back from the ankles because you're talking about bones. Talking about bone spurs. Mm -hmm. typically you get those out, you heal, you should be okay. So that is less of a concern than the fact that he had the ACL in week four of 2019. He had an ACL injury going back to high school. So that you start thinking, okay, if he has a third ACL, what does that end up, end up meaning? And also being in the fifth year option, he could have a great season and stay healthy, But what is the Broncos decision going to be then? Because if he has that great season, do they pay him what he could get from someone else? Or do they look at his injury history, look at the fact that he's going to be going into year year six, and if he plays a full season this year, that's only two full seasons he's played out out of five to date in his career, and say, well, maybe we're better off spending some of this money elsewhere. We've got to pay Russell Wilson. And that's where... It's kind of if Gregory or Chubb missed some time, it could be kind of fascinating to see Baron Browning or Malik Reed or Nick Benito or Jonathan Cooper, because what they do could help determine whether the Broncos do give a big contract to, to Bradley Chubb, even if he has a really big year, just because they could be concerned about the injury history. And they do have to start probably making making some some choices here if they're going to pay Russell Wilson $50 million a year starting in 2024.
0: Have you heard any updates on that possible contract extension?
2: Uh, no, and I it, basically everything's on ice right now until the ownership is approved. The Walton Penner Group comes in. That that's that's going to be a pretty high level item on their list when they get in and they get they get settled in is getting a Russell Wilson contract done. And the question is, when do you want to see him play a year, or do you want to go ahead and do it now? I mean it's possible Wilson could come in in an offense designed for him. He's never been in an offense designed for his skill set and what he wants. He's never had that. Looks like we might have
0: mace. Looks like we lost audio on you. We'll see if we can get him back here in just a quick second. Mace, can you hear me? Let's see. Can you hear me? We lost your audio. Still can't hear you. Let's see. We'll get Mace back in here. Hopefully shortly. Still can't hear us? We'll try and get Mace to get some audio back. But. Jake, it is, it's just me, right? Like he, yeah, he's the one who lost good, audio. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Mace, Mace has lost audio. Um, right. We
0: will bring him back in here shortly. Cause obviously bringing a lot of good content to the table there, Jake, but you know, injuries are always an issue. We talk about it all throughout sports, right. Where it's kind of one of those things of, do you take the risk on people? We've talked about it with the ads. We're talking about it with the nuggets, especially so. When you look at Bradley Chubb, Randy Gregory, do you think, even if they have a spectacular year, is it worth paying them out knowing how injury-prone they are?
1: You know, with the Nuggets, there's this case with Michael Porter Jr. where it's really hard to get free agents in Denver. So you're almost having to pay a tax, right, and saying, hey, we have a hard time getting this talent. Let's try to get this talent and pay for it. The Broncos don't necessarily have that problem. Um, but there also is a case to be made that guys who get hurt early in their career, they almost take fewer miles off their body or they take more miles off their body. So -hmm. they could be fresher later in their careers. Honestly, I've always struggled on what to do with players who are injury prone. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, you try to get as much talent as you can and you try to get the depth around it. So if someone does get hurt, you are in a good situation.
0: Let's
2: see Macy back. I'm back. Can, I don't know what happened there. Can you can you hear me? I can hear you and oh, anyway. But well, yeah, I, but I heard I heard Jake talking about the injuries. I mean, I think that's a that, that's kind of a great point that there's a to go back in the draft about 9 years. You guys remember Eddie Lacy, Monte Ball in the I believe it was 2013 draft. As I was told, Eddie Lacy had a medical issue that Was going to end up limiting him according to doctors to about four to five to no more than four to five years in the league. Well, he was a running back and he ended up playing just about that long, but running backs kind of get, they said he'll be effective, but he's not going to last very long. And so Packers end up picking him and they got some good work out of him. So sometimes if you've got a guy like that, maybe it is kind of, okay, let's, let's, let's get all we can out of him while out of this athlete while we can and then worry and, and then and then worry about the consequences uh, later. So the shop discussion is going to be really interesting I think because I don't, if he has a big gear there's going to be on the one end saying okay an elite pass rusher if he reaches that level we don't want to let go of that. But do you want to assume the future injury risk which usually goes up over time for most for most athletes or do you want to let, let someone else do that? And that's why when they pick Nick Benito and when uh, they move Baron Browning to edge, those are really interesting moves because those are indications of maybe planning for a life without Bradley Chubb down the line.
0: We will see. Hopefully not, obviously, but injuries do happen, especially in the game of football. But Josie Jewell, Mace, you know, he's somebody that a lot of people are talking about. Why should people be excited about him this year?
2: People should be excited about him. First of all, they chose him over the other inside linebacker options, even though he only played a couple of games last year. They looked at him. They looked at Kenny young. Uh, Of course, um, they had Alexander Johnson, who a lot of people liked, but jewel was the call jewel was, and jewel is who they chose for a few reasons. Number one, he's basically another coach on the field, extremely intelligent. Number two, Because of that intelligence, he tends to be in the right place far more often than not. He doesn't have great time speed, doesn't have great time quickness, but he can diagnose a play and he can diagnose offensive intent very quickly. And thus, he's able to get himself in the right spot and maybe make up for that lack lack of time, speed, and quickness. He also is responsible for getting the entire front seven set up. So. He's in that regard. You've got Justin Simmons kind of setting things up on the back end. Josie Jewell setting things up linebackers and defensive line, making sure everyone's aligned properly pre-snap. And he also makes players around him better. He made Alexander Johnson better, kind of helped him get up to speed. Uh, Jonas Griffith right now is somebody he who uh, Jewell is helping make better working with him when they're in base package, uh, base packages in OTAs. He, I think Jewell kind of, People look at the moments where he's beaten in coverage and say, okay, he, he can't play, but that's not the entire equation for him. And if you've got other kind of more dynamic athletes there, uh, not only in the front, in the front seven, but also on the back end, you're going to be able to kind of make up for what little that Jewel lacks. And so I, I mean, I was excited when they brought him back the first game, about a game and a third that he played last year. He was probably the best player on the field for the Broncos defensively against the Giants, and then early in the Jaguars game. He was flying around. He was everywhere. It looked like he was about to have that breakout moment and then, and then got hurt, but they saw enough. And I think, importantly, Ezra Evero and the new defensive coaches coming looked, and they saw enough from that about a game and a third of film last year to say, of all these options, we think he's the best one to kind of be our quarterback on the field.
1: Yeah, Mace. It looks like we lost Rachel there. Uh, we're having some technical difficulties. That's why we got
2: three people, right? So we can so we can we can pick up the, whoever has to vanish for a moment. Yeah,
1: no doubt. And, and I I know we were about to hop around the defense and talk a little bit about Pat Sertan too. So mm-hmm. kind of give us where Pat Sertan is entering this year. I kind of think of Pat Sertan as maybe the star of this defense in a way, uh, even coming into so early in his career.
2: Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you on that because he by the back half of last year, he was not only a legit C B one for this team, but he was a top five league-wide C B one. And I think that may be that, that may sound like kind of inflated over inflated praise, but he was becoming that lockdown guy. In particular, the Bengals game last December and 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 he he completely played the role of 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 the lock of lockdown lockdown cornerback because uh, the the Bengals were shut down. I think he I think he only allowed one catch in that game, and we know how deep and how talented uh, the Bengals receiving receiving group is, and and that's the sort that's the sort of thing you expect from somebody who's a number 1 cornerback is that that they're going to they're going to step in that they that they're, that they're going to lock down whoever their man is now zone, the the use of zone coverage means that ps2 isn't necessarily sh- shadowing and following a, a, a receiver around now we'll see if Jurevro changes that uh, changes that tactic a little bit going forward but if you do decide to transition to one where it's cornerback on no, on wide receiver one then based on what we saw, he's ready to go. And they are really, they're really only a handful of corners that, uh, that can handle that. And Pat Sertan is already there after only one year.
1: So, and as I welcome Rachel back in, it's not necessarily about... Yeah, we don't know what's going on. It's not necessarily maybe about Pat Sertan reaching the next level so much as the Broncos defense around Pat Sertan getting better, Mace, right?
2: Yeah, I'd, I think so. And I think... Because Sertan, I think, got to that level, and then you have others like you, you, we know Justin Simmons is at a is at a pretty high, high level as well. Uh, what you're, I think, what part of what you're counting on also is the fact that they didn't abandon Vic Fangio's scheme. And one thing that multiple players have told me over the last couple of months is that that one of the things that is helping this defense is that they built off the concepts of the last few years. So really, it's kind of Taking it to another level, it's like they were they got the undergrad and now they're going to grad school uh, with Jiro Evero, which I think is going to make this defense fascinating to watch because conceptually I think we're going to see some some tweaks thrown in that are more in line with what Evero learned working under people like way Phillips working under people like Monty Kiffin the the longtime uh, buccaneer defensive coordinator who basically invented the Tampa 2 coverage back in the day. So I'm fat, that's why I think it's you can't dismiss the possibility of PS2 being somebody that you say okay This is, this is the week we're going to face the Bengals and Jamar Chase. You're going to go up against Chase every snap and that's it. I, there are some, so it's kind of taking these things to another level of complexity, bringing in some more concepts that I think could make this defense even harder, uh, even harder to deal with for an opposing offense if they can throw more out, more out there. And of course, then there's the health issue because you, you know, hopefully Ronald Darby stays healthy all year. Hopefully, Josie Jewell stays healthy. Hopefully, Bradley Chubb stays healthy. And if you can get a little bit better injury luck, then between that and schematically what's going on, this should be a pretty good defense.
0: You guys, I keep keep checking the calendar. I'm like, is this like Friday the 13th? Because the fact that Mace was having mic issues, my computer in the like five months we've been doing this show has never once been like, you know what? I'm just going to turn off randomly. So I'm glad you both are still (laughs) in here, though. Jake, thanks for hopping in. I appreciate it. But... Mace, I know you kind of just touched on, I feel like they're going to like graduate school now, right? Yeah. Is this mean we're going to see maybe less, like we should worry a little bit less because we're all like, oh, it's new scheme. It's going to be new coaches, new coordinators, everything on that end. but maybe not because they already kind of have like this playbook in place and you know they're they're just moving on to the next level we're not completely wiping everything and starting fresh
2: yeah i think those are really good points i mean i think frankly the biggest question mark is evero himself calling defensive plays for the first time mm-hmm. now there's every indication that he should do very well again i mean the 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 people he's been around the defensive minds that he's been around he's uh, i i'm you know of course Vic Fangio because he worked under him in San Francisco, mm-hmm. Wade Phillips and Monty Kiffin. I mean, you're talking about probably 3 of the 5 most prominent uh, defensive tacticians of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And he and and his growth and his progress has come from learning from these minds. So, I mean, I'm on paper he has the knowledge base to succeed. I think he's got he's a nice contrast to Nathaniel Hackett because we know how energetic and pumped up Nathaniel Hackett is, and the two of them go back to UC Davis. They were friends in college, and they're very mu- there's very much kind of a fire and ice thing here. And Everose kind of cooler. He's a, he's a little more. Uh, even keeled level. I wouldn't say level-headed because I think the heck it is level-headed, but he's a little less excitable. But I think that contrast actually is one of the things that could make this work. The question, I think the question on the defense, it's how is Evero going to do making those calls in pressure situations? How is he going to do adep- at in-game adjustments and adapting? Because, you know, anything looks great when you design it, but then if you give up a quick ten or fourteen points, and you have to make those in-game adjustments. What do you do? What what what, uh, what tools do you end up taking out of the tool toolbox to try and fix this? For example, Broncos fans know how great Wade Phillips was at that. For I believe it was in 2015 against Cincinnati, the Bengals with. Um, Uh, The the Bengals uh, come in with A.J. McCarron at quarterback. They get a quick two-touchdown lead, nearly make it three if they miss a field goal. And Wade's adjustment is, okay, we're not a zone team, but we're going to throw zone looks at them. And... At the, and then the Bengals were completely confounded, bought time for the offense to come back, and then the Broncos eventually won in overtime. So I want, I want to see how Evero is when he has to make that adjustment against a team that's got him locked in, that's got his, tactic, that's got his tactics figured out. How does, he do, how does he do that? If he does well at that, then not only will his defense be successful, but he's going to be a head coach in the making.
0: And do you believe that he's got that skill set to be able to do that?
2: I do. I, I've I've got a lot of confidence in him. Everything and people I've talked to that have worked with him that that know him and that that speak highly uh, of of his of his teaching ability and they speak highly of his adaptability and kind of the other thing that I mentioned coming from those three defensive schools of thought the fact that he can kind of draw on a lot of different concepts and incorporate and incorporate them means that if something isn't working they're going to have a gear shift to try to 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 try to make something work for that game and and figure it out and solve the pro- and and solve the problems. And ultimately, the best defensive coaches are problem solvers and I think Everett was a problem solver.
0: Well, Laura Rutledge from ESPN, they did like a little Twitter thing where they said, "Who's the most underrated player in the NFL?" and she said Justin Simmons. Agree or disagree, mates?
2: I'm biased be covering this team, but I agree.
0: Yeah. And-
2: there aren't many safeties in this day and age who can do what he does, which is not only to have that effective center field range, but also have the ability to make plays in the box against the run. And, you know, he doesn't have necessarily the the big hitting physicality of his safety partner, Kareem Jackson, but he can put, but he puts himself in the right place to, to make play, to make plays. He diagnoses, plays as they happen quickly that's a, that's a, that's a, a great skill to have as a safety and i think frankly the reason why more people don't nationally don't know about Justin Simmons is playing for a shaky team and for the last few years and pe- maybe people are going to find out a little bit with all these national television games uh, what kind of what kind of player Justin Sim- Simmons is because you think back He's kind of, he, he the, when he makes some of his interceptions, when we've seen this the last couple of years, he's kind of a closer, right? He makes a big play late in the Washington game last year. He makes a big play against Miami back in 2020. Well, no offense to those games and not to demean them, but these are relatively inconsequential games in the NFL universe.
0: Mm-hmm. What is
2: it gonna, So what if he's making that play against San Francisco on Sunday night football? or against Matt Ryan and the Colts if the Colts are trying to come back late on Thursday night football uh coming coming up here in early October. And then I think and then I think the renown for Justin Simmons is going to catch up to 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 the play. Sometimes it take sometimes it can take a little time. I mean, John Lynch didn't become a pro bowler until year five in Tampa Bay, he's, and his, he had some little bit of different things that happened to him along along the way, but he was playing for a pretty bad Bucks team early in his career, and then the Bucks get good, and all of a sudden, everybody knows who John Lynch is, and then, of course, he ends up coming to Denver, and he has four more Pro Bowls, and now he's a Hall of Famer. I'm not saying Justin Simmons is on a Hall of Fame trajectory, but I am saying that very similar to how people kind of found out about John Lynch going into the middle part of his career. I think people nationally about to find out about Justin Simmons.
0: If uh, Maria said, oh yeah, you're getting me excited for football season, Maria. We're (laughs) both with you. We are so excited. But if Justin Simmons can do the exact plays that he's done against maybe not so great teams and, you know, maybe not so significant moments, but... This year, in those big moments, like you said, can he be a Hall of Fame player?
2: He's going to have to stack up some league-wide honors to kind of get on on that radar. And by that, I mean he's going to have to stack up Pro Bowls and All-Pro recognition. And the other thing for Justin Simmons, unfortunately, because it took some time for him to start getting any kind of recognition, he's got some catch-up work to do, and he probably has to be a terrific safety going in. I mean, he's in year seven, believe it or not. I mean, time flies uh, in the NFL and in life in general, but he probably has to play at a high level through like year 11, year 12. I mean, for John Lynch, believe it or not, John Lynch is not a hall of famer if he doesn't come to Denver for those last four years. And maybe that, that last year was, was shaky, but he still put up four pro bowls to kind of complete the resume that he had what he did in Tampa Bay and it was it was 12 seasons or 11 seasons part of me in Tampa Bay that wasn't enough to get him in he needed the Denver years to push him over the top and he needed to kind of keep accumulating honors toward the end of his career the other thing is if simmons ha, simmons plays a reputation based position offensive line safety in particular because there aren't a lot of numbers to quantify for Pro Bowl voting, it very much is what is your reputation around the league uh, with players and, the, and with fans and the one third of the voting that comes uh, from the fan vote as well. If, more, if you're playing those primetime games that, that everyone around the league sees, you're going to get that notice, you're going to get that attention, and then it kind of becomes this cycle where you keep getting those nods even though maybe you weren't quite as good as you were the year before, but reputation kind of powers you over. And that's the sort of thing that maybe worked against Justin the last few years, but in the Russell Wilson era could work for Justin in terms of accumulating uh, accomplishments and lines on his CV that maybe we are talking about him. At the very least, I think he's going to be a ring of famer, but there's a lot of work to do for him to become a Hall of Famer. So it's that's probably... That's probably a few years before we can have that conversation, but it's fun to think about.
0: No, absolutely. You know, this situation kind of reminds me, and I know it's obviously very different, but the honey badger and Tyron Matthew and the chiefs, right. Until yeah. really Patrick Mahomes, Tyree kill, uh, Travis Kelsey became this big trio. It was mm-hmm. like, we hadn't really heard a ton about Tyron Matthew and then boom, you add this incredible offense, and here mm-hmm. we are, people talking about him, waiting to see what's going to happen with him too. So it's, it kind of gives me that same feel.
2: Right, and the other thing is when you're on a team like that with an offense that can put a lot of pressure and stress on the defense that it faces, mm-hmm. then your defensive players have more opportunities to make big plays. You know, Not only Tyron Matthew, but uh, everyone involved in it, you know, guys like, uh, like, like Frank Clark in, in, involved in, in the Chiefs. In the Chiefs' pass rush, Chris Jones. So I think if you've got a Bronco offense here that can allow the defense to work from ahead, you're going to see more plays coming from the back end, and more plays coming, and more plays coming from the edge rushers as well. So it's going, so it's as the cliche goes, it's going to be the rising tide that lifts all the boats.
0: And, you know, if your your team is up, the Broncos are up, you're forcing the other team to throw, which means mm-hmm. that Justin Simmons, Pat Tan, Donald, um, excuse me, Ronald Darby will see more mm-hmm. looks as well. But who needs to step up on the D-line? Who needs to have the bigger year on the D-line specifically, Mace?
2: Well, yeah, Draymond Jones and DJ Jones are both, are both interesting here. Now, D- Draymond Jones needs to be a top-level pass rusher on the defensive line. And there, this is, it's come in burst. He's, you know, early part of last season was a little bit rough for him. Second half of the season, his pressure rate goes up. His sack rate goes up I'm more, you know, sacks. You don't want to put too much on that but because sometimes it's just about generating effective pressure. Mm-hmm. And that was something that Draymond, but Draymond Jones did better at both of, uh, at both of those. He still is the guy that needs to have the bit, the bigger year of anyone on, on the defensive line. But I wouldn't sleep on D.J. Jones. And I know Orlando has talked about this on air a few times. Being on San Francisco's staff last year, he saw D.J. Jones every day in practice. And, uh, and you can see it in o- the OTAs that he was available for this year. D.J. Jones is a better pass rusher than people realize the number of times that he was breaching the pocket and putting pressure on Russell Wilson, those practices uh, that happened, he, I, I wasn't calculating every pressure rate, the pressure rate and pra- practices, but he was getting in the backfield frequently in pass rush. So we've, we've talked a lot about over the last few months about DJ Jones being this great run stuffer. He's more than that. And it, then it becomes a question. How much can he be used? Because, Defensive linemen in general, they're not going to play eighty to eighty-five percent of the snaps. It's going to be a rotation. You're going to be shuffling them in and out. So how so how many pass rush snaps can DJ Jones have, and how effective how, how effective can he be? And if they want to rotate it right, do they have uh, on some possessions DJ Jones rushing the passer on third and long, and then the next possession it's third and long using Dray, Draymond Jones? I think Draymond Jones is still is still key, but uh, DJ Jones is probably right behind him.
0: Ooh, well, we're gonna get definitely into all the dirty details on the D line once training camp begins. But Mace, before we end the show, you had a good tweet this morning that I definitely agreed with, talking about Kendall Hinton and how they didn't actually name him the starter for the Kendall Hinton game back in 2020. Why is that bother you so much still?
2: Well, it bothers me from a football historian perspective because you look in the Broncos media guide and you look at the starting quarterbacks, and it says Philip Lindsay for that game. I mean, Noah, he did take the first snap, Uh but it was, it was a wildcat snap. He wasn't, he wasn't a true quarterback on on that play with what DJ Jones had to do on basically about 24 at best 36 hours notice to get ready. The least they could have done was throw him the bone of giving him the start, right? That little GS that says one and it, it, it's it, and also because I'll, I'll admit I'm viewing this from my perspective. Every time I refer to that game, I have to say, well, it's the Kendall Hinton game but Philip Lindsay started and he was the, and so you're making your list of Broncos starting quarterbacks. You have to say Philip Lindsay because he technically started the game, but it was Kendall Hinton's game. Kendall Hinton deserves all the praise for that. I mean, he, yeah, he got, he got the wristband in the hall hall of fame and he'll be forever remembered, but he deserves the thing that says that he was the starter and this is how sometimes coaches get too much into the weeds and mm-hmm. Pat Shermer probably got too much into the weeds and said, well, let's just go ahead and, uh, we're going to open with a wildcat here. No, no, no. You, you should have given Kendall Hinton that first snap. It's, you know, there, there are a hundred things we could talk about of the Pat Shermer error as, era as off, offensive coordinator. I think I meant, I almost said error and I think he probably could have been accurate, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, this is one that still it just sticks it sticks in my craw. Ken, Kendall Hinton deserved better, and uh, fortunately from the Broncos, he has got he has gotten better because they've had a lot of faith in him, and he's proven that he can be a nice backup rotational receiver who, who contributes on special teams. and it, And I gotta say, seeing Kendall Hinton catch passes from Russell Wilson this past spring, pretty cool. What I want to see, Rachel, is I want to see Kendall Hinton actually throw the ball again in a game. on an end around. I want to see a gadget play where Kendall Hinton throws to one of his fellow wide receivers. I need to see it.
0: I love that. Honestly, that game still, I tell people this all the time. Kendall Hinton is a hometown hero to everybody in Denver because of the fact of how he handled that game. And I'm with you. I think it's a load of BS that they didn't Mm. give him the one GS, right? Just one,
2: just one, just one. Uh, just one, uh, but I'll, I'll always remember Bradley Chubb. As the game ended, they lose thirty-one-three, and Bradley Chubb giving him a hug as they're walking off the field. And that's it's it's testament to what kind of leader Bradley Chubb is. But uh, you know, they the they, they, everyone knew in that locker room, everyone knew what he did and appreciated what he did. And um, just that GS, it just would have been just that little bit more to say There's thank you.
0: very On top.
2: Yeah. Yeah. To say, thank you. Thank you for doing your best. Thank you for, for stepping in, in a situation that nobody in the NFL has faced in 55 years and doing us proud and doing your best.
0: Yep. Well, his name will forever be. remembered. Bronco fans love him dearly. And like, I I agree with you. I would love to see him Mm -hmm. actually throw a pass to one of the wide receivers this year. (laughs) <laughs> that would be super fun. But Mace, as always, appreciate you hopping on with us. We're going to obviously see a ton more of you here on Coffee Break with Bronco Season getting started. But thank you to everybody so much for hanging out with us all this week. I do want to say I will be gone next week. So Sydney, our intern, or just kidding, our producer, not intern, she will be filling in for me. So definitely be nice to her. Drop a high in the comments, and we will see you guys all next Friday when Mace and I will be back. Bye, everyone.